Well, hello. Welcome to the initial installment of our Encouragement Podcast, a podcast designed uh, to bring you each week a few words of encouragement, something to strengthen you and lift you to a place where you can face the challenges of this life. And this initial installment comes to you sort of in the middle of uh, our global pandemic. This is July the 1st, and we have all lived through a little over three months of all the challenges that uh, that we faced through the pandemic with the, uh, you know, the lockdown and the restriction of movement and the reduction in the availability of some goods. Others have suffered great financial hardship because of the closing of businesses and the closing of companies. And so I thought it might be good as we begin this to just find some things that would be encouraging and maybe look at some perspectives that might give us a little sense of the Lord's provision and uh, maybe uh, orient our minds a little bit towards uh, just some encouraging things in these aspects of our lives that we're living through right now. I was uh, reading this morning a uh, an article in USA Today. It was an older article from 2018 in September. And let me uh, suggest to you a interesting thought. How many of you have heard the different terms for parents. Uh, Perhaps you've heard of the helicopter parent or the free range parent or the tiger parent or the elephant parent. You know, the helicopter parent who's always hovering around, making sure that every little thing that happens in their child's life is uh, coming through the filter of what the parent thinks is uh, is acceptable. There's a new one, uh, at least a couple of years new, uh, one that I had not heard of before. It's called the lawnmower parent. The lawnmower parent. How does that define uh, and this one was suggested by uh, by teachers, uh, lawnmower parents, those who want to mow down every challenge, every obstacle or struggle in the path of their child. And uh, they gave some illustrations, some real world things that teachers had seen parents do in order to remove all of the difficulty in their child's life. Uh, the one that I thought was the most remarkable is that a teacher was called to come to the school office to pick up something dropped off for a student thinking it was an inhaler, you know, for a child that was having breathing difficulties, something significant enough uh, for the parent to make a trip and the teacher to be called to the office must be pretty important. Or maybe it was uh, money for lunch. Uh, The child was going to be unable to eat, and that's not uncommon. Uh, Parents drops off money for lunch. So the teacher met a dad in a very nice suit at the office of the administration, uh, the desk of the administration office there in the front of the school, And that dad had been texted repeatedly by the child to drop off um, (laughs) a specialty drink bottle, a water bottle, uh, that his middle schooler had forgotten and then refused to drink from the many uh, water fountains in the school, insisting she would only drink from the insulated bottle. Um, Or how about the parent of a high school student who... Ask a teacher to walk a student to class to assure that the student would not be late. Or there's the email that a teacher got from a parent who requested someone from the cafeteria blow on their child's too hot lunch to cool it down. Or a parent who called to schedule a makeup test when the student was clearly old enough to request time on their own. Um, We've... You, you may have seen some of those things, and I suggest uh, I'm a parent of three, and if you're a parent, I think that there's no doubt that we have all at some point in time been a helicopter parent. Um, 
a uh, last-minute school project? How many stereographs have I built or little little displays in a shoebox? And how many of those have been at the last minute? And rather than let my child suffer any any uh, you know any difficulty because of that, uh, I've stayed up late in the night while the child went to bed to build some display, some some poster board, some project for a science fair. I think we've all done that. We don't want our children to suffer difficulty or setbacks. I think there are even times when we want God to be like that. We, we want him to remove every obstacle, to remove every difficulty, to make our lives easier. And we think that that would sort of be his job. He would, he would be great with his power and with his knowledge to just remove everything that causes us difficulty from our lives. I think sometimes I grow frustrated and I grow anxious and I lose patience because I question why. Why are these things happening? Lord, why would you not out of your great ability just cause this thing to be gone? Just sort of snap your God fingers and remove this difficulty. I have no doubt that you've asked and wondered those same questions. Why is God not more of a lawnmower parent? Why would he not simply remove those things from our life? And as I begin to think about it and search the scriptures, and even in the illustration of our real world parents who are lawnmower parents, the concern, and I think we all understand this, is that what happens to a child that never faces difficulty, that never has to go through the things of life, that never has to struggle and perhaps even suffer loss and always has everything provided. Well, I think we can all imagine the kind of adult that, that child turns into. And then what happens when that child does have to face an obstacle that mom or dad are either no longer there to remove or can't remove than the impact of that child, uh, because they've never been prepared. They've never suffered the disappointment of a loss or faced the challenge of real-world life, just life, and they're just not prepared for it. So what is God? And what's you might say, well, Roy, what's encouraging about any of that? God's not a lawnmower parent. I want him to be. Yeah, but he is a great parent. The Scripture is very clear that he's a good father. He is a, a good uh, shepherd. He's not a, uh, someone that doesn't tend for his children. He's not someone that is absent and unapproachable and not powerful. He is all of those things, but he's not a lawnmower God. So what is he? What does he do? Where's the encouragement? Well, once again, it, it has to do with just the quality of his care for us. Uh, he does care for his children, but he doesn't remove every obstacle out of our way. Could he remove them? Uh, I think there's some interesting questions here. Could he remove them? Is he powerful enough to remove every obstacle from your life? Could he cause you to never lose a job? Could he cause you to always have sufficient or even an abundance of money? Could he uh, cause your car to never have a flat? cause you to never get sick, cause you to never lose a minute's sleep over the stress of some external circumstance. Well, 
I think I have to say, yes, he is powerful enough. Then why doesn't he? And I think the encouragement comes from understanding why he doesn't. Or at least it brings some peace in the midst of things like a global pandemic. How come God didn't just push the virus into the sea and destroy it and or at least never let it touch your family or never affect your job or on a larger scale, since he's God, protect the whole world? Why, why do wars occur and why do people suffer in this life when God has the power to stop it? Well, let me give you a little theological understanding, and we won't go deep with these because I want to get to the encouragement part pretty quickly. Why doesn't he? If he is powerful enough, why doesn't he? Well, it has to do with two concepts that God empowered you and I with, and we would not want to live without either of them. Two things, all the way back in the book of Genesis, where the story of Adam and Eve is told, and if you know that story, Adam and Eve, first man, first woman, um, and you probably have heard the story of the forbidden fruit, and Adam uh, is given the fruit by Eve, and he eats it, and because of the two of them disobeying God, sin enters the world, and mankind begins to decay at that moment, all the way to this moment. And we live in a world that's the product of that, but why? Well, it's because of two concepts that God gave us, dominion coupled with free will. You see, you don't want to be a robot, and I don't either. I want to be able to make my choices, and so do you. It's fundamental to who we are, and we would never want to lose it. And God gave us dominion, the right to rule, the right to establish our life, the right to sort of self-govern yourself. You can choose uh, to do the right thing or to do the wrong thing. And it's the combination of those that has had such a powerful impact on our world, dominion and free will. And you and I live in a world that has been ruled uh, through mankind's expression of dominion and free will since the time God created the earth and Adam and Eve fell. And we live in a world that is the product of those choices, the just all of the difficulties in our world. Even sickness comes because of sin. Even the things, the systems of our world that don't function like God intended, those are all because of the choices that we made. So God's not the originator of our difficulty. The world we live in, this fallen planet that we live on, this societal grouping that we live in as humanity... We are the, well, we're the people who live in the sort of the water that we made muddy. And because of that, difficulty comes. So first of all, I think it's encouraging to know that God doesn't create our difficulties. Our fallen world does. All right? But we're still back to the problem of why didn't God just remove them? Well, it's because of that dominion and free will that we, we live according to our choices and in our world. But what does God do? Here's the... Here's the encouraging part for me. What does he do? A couple of things. First of all, God in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, there's the story of Joseph. And Joseph has suffered difficulty after difficulty on a scale that I suspect none of us will. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. He eventually rises to a place in slavery even because of the blessing of God where he is managing a, a wealthy man, a, 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 a good man who treats Joseph great, a man named Potiphar. 
He is managing his home, and he has turned over the whole management of his home to Joseph. But Joseph catches the eye of Potiphar's wife, uh, an evil woman, and she tries to sleep with Joseph, and Joseph refuses to do so. And she lies on Joseph and tells her husband that Joseph has attacked her. And her husband believes her, and Joseph is imprisoned once again, completely innocent. My goodness, what a hardship. And then he's in prison, and God uh, gives uh, a couple of guys in the prison a dream, uh, a baker and a cupbearer to Pharaoh himself. Joseph is in Egypt now when all of this happens. He's sold into slavery into Egypt. And those two men have a dream, and they ask Joseph to interpret it. And God miraculously does a miracle through Joseph and gives him the ability to interpret the dreams properly. One man is killed. The other man is returned to his position. The cupbearer is returned to his position. And he promises to remember Joseph when he is back in Pharaoh's graces, and he doesn't. He forgets. And Joseph remains in prison. So he's been sold into slavery by his brothers. He is lied on by Potiphar's wife. He is then forgotten by the cupbearer. And it would just seem that he has just been overwhelmed by difficulty. And then one day, Pharaoh has a dream, and the cupbearer remembers, and Joseph is brought before Pharaoh. Now, where's the encouragement in all of that? It's hardship after hardship, yes. But here's what God does. Uh, there comes a day when drought has hit that whole region and Joseph's family back in Israel are suffering because crops won't grow because the drought has been extended. It's a little bit like the pandemic that we're in. It covers a large area. And Joseph, by that time, because of him being able to interpret by God's power, not his own power, but by God's power, he's able to interpret a dream that Pharaoh has. And because of that interpretation, Pharaoh puts him in charge of the nation. Joseph is second only to Pharaoh, and he's able to prepare Egypt by storing up seven years' worth of provisions so that when the drought happens, Pharaoh and Egypt are ready, and all of the region around them have to come to them to buy food, and they have food to sell. They literally, through Joseph's hand, deliver not only Egypt, but all of the region, including, and here's the great part of the story, his own family, his brothers show up to buy grain, and Joseph's in disguise. They don't recognize him. In that moment, Joseph has a choice. He can either be bitter and angry and punish them, and he could have. He's an incredibly powerful man, second only to Pharaoh at that time. He's in disguise, though, and they don't know him. And if you know the story, you know how Joseph uses the position that he's now in to bless his family and to save his father, who is now aged and has always thought that Joseph died, and his family is reunited, and literally the nation of Israel is saved, and God uses Joseph's difficulties to do that. He redeems situations that he didn't create. Mankind created in Joseph's life. Life created the jealousy of his brothers that sold him. That wasn't God. That was man. The lie of Potiphar's wife, once again, not God, man. And the forgetfulness of the cupbearer, still man. And God didn't just mow those down. He didn't just remove those. Joseph went through those, but God redeemed them and brought about such a great redemption that Joseph, I suspect, lived a moment like many of us have. When we look back after time has gone by, and I bet if you asked Joseph, Hey, Joseph, would you, would you rather not be in this position in Pharaoh's house if you could 
miss all of the difficulties, but still just be one of your father's sons? I think Joseph, with hindsight, would look back and go, you know, if I hadn't gone through these things and God hadn't redeemed them, I wouldn't be in Egypt. And I wouldn't have been able to save my father and my family and ultimately the whole nation of what became Israel through Joseph's lineage and Benjamin and and just the tribes that were formed out of that and ultimately Messiah. Joseph couldn't see that yet. But the Messiah that saved the whole world, watch this, came out of Joseph's redemptive plan that God had positioned him in by redeeming the hardship of his life. Now, God's still working in your life, and he is watching over you and me as attentively as he did Joseph. And you may be living, as all of us are through the pandemic, through situations that just seem to have no good purpose. But that's not who your father is. He's a good father. He's a good shepherd. And he has you just like he had Joseph and just like he has me. The scriptures are full of stories of men and women who live through some very difficult circumstances and over and over again. You see God redeem that circumstance to bring about their good and their blessing and the fulfillment and the advancement of his kingdom. So be encouraged today. God's watching you. He's a good father and he's a good shepherd. And while we may be, and you may be in a very unique way, living through some very difficult circumstances, they're not over yet. Your story's not finished. God isn't a helicopter parent, but he is a great parent. And he will use those difficulties to bring you to a better place and a better outcome uh, than any than you can imagine while you're going through them. He's a good father, and he loves you greatly. So be encouraged. God has got something great for your life. I pray this has encouraged you today. Uh, We'll be doing this weekly, and I hope you have subscribed. If you haven't, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Tell others about it. A weekly word of encouragement in courage, where God takes and puts courage into our hearts. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week, and be encouraged in all that God's doing through your life. Bye-bye.